Welcome to the Tabletop Sportcast. I'm your host, James Cast. Today is December 3rd, 2023, and this is episode 143. Today we're sitting down with Sean Colin. Sean is a member of our gaming community who has worked on several mega projects over the past few years, and he came on this week to tell us some of the strategies that he uses to conduct these projects. Uh, and also provide us some highlights from the projects that he's run over the last couple of years for both Major League Baseball and the NFL. When we talk about a mega project, we are talking about full season replays. Sean will play every single game of the either MLB season or NFL season. So we're going to get into that. Uh, apologies in advance. The sound quality is a little off. We had some technical difficulty, so um, his voice will sound a little fainter than mine, but that's mostly because we were kind of recording from the phone. So uh, still be able to get everything he's saying. Just wanted you to know that you're going to hear that audio dip there. Um, last but not least, Interview is going to take about an hour, so we're going to skip the tabletop recap for this week and get right into the interview that I did earlier this week with Sean Coleman. All right, I am sitting down tonight with Sean Coleman, and Sean is somebody I was able to meet at Play.com. Um, I think we've seen each other there a couple of times, right, Sean? Yes, I, I believe so. I've been to all of them. Oh. So I think how many times have you been to two of them, James? I've been to three now. I've been to the last three, three post-pandemic ones. So, mm. um, And I think maybe the first year we didn't get a chance to uh, cross paths too much. Uh, Correct. Correct. But the last two Correct. years, I know we've had some conversations about uh, your replays and that's something we're going to touch on tonight, but before we get into that, why don't you just kind of tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, name is Sean Conan. Um, I live in upstate New York. Um, I am, uh, own a property casualty insurance agency. Um, owned it for the last 14 years, been in the insurance business for 30 plus. Um, avid tabletop uh, gamer like all of like yourself and all of your listeners um uh, i'm 56 years old and playing the game since i was probably 10 years old um so probably sometime in the mid mid to late 70s um is when um it was introduced to me and as most tabletop gamers um went strong in your your young years your teenage years and then once life hit you you, you got reintroduced to it probably 20 30 years later later to bring all that great nostalgia back that you experienced when you were 10 11 years old so um so that's a little bit about a little bit about myself so uh i enjoy your podcast i've been a, a loyal listener since uh since since I, you know as far as back i can remember and uh, i enjoy it being a part of the community, talking to the other members of the community about uh, this great hobby. Awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty familiar story that we uh, we get into this at a young age and then yep. lose it for a little yep. while. But, uh, you know, it's yep. starting to come back to all of us. Um, Correct. Correct. 
So late 70s, you're getting into playing the uh, tabletop sports games. And what were some of the, the games that that were kind of those intro games for you? Um, intro games to me, my, my uncle, um, he's about, Jesus, he's about probably 10 years older than me. He uh, introduced Stratomatic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember him playing Stratomatic basketball with his cousin, who was about his age and you know, they were they would bring it over when I was ten, eleven years old, and I would kind of just watch them play Stratomatic, and then um, me and him would have face to face matchups with Stratomatic baseball. I would take uh, you know the modern day players that were my heroes, and he would take his heroes during his era, and we'd play like an all star game. Um, then what happened is uh, as I was going through high school. Um, in the summer of my high school years, probably my sophomore, junior, and senior years, I had a group of friends that we would, you know, play basketball all morning and then have lunch, you know, leave the house at 8.30 in the morning and not come home till 9 o'clock at night <laughs> and uh, be playing basketball or riding our bike somewhere. But then there was always time to play either Apple baseball or it was also status pro baseball. Oh yeah, and I'd probably say Status Pro was probably the leader of all those games. I mean, you could walk into KB Toy and Hobby Shop, go to the bookcase games, get Status Pro Baseball. I remember playing Title Bout. I mean, I played un- so many bouts of Title Bout. Um, <laughs> but Status Pro Baseball was the one that stuck out. You know, you'd see a pitcher with a two to nine range, and you think that was like you know you were holding this in your hands and think wow nobody's gonna hit this guy so i think you know it was just status pro baseball i'd probably say was the one that stuck out the most and then then status pro basketball so i think all of the games that were easily available at the shopping mall um were the ones that got the most time at our tabletop because i don't know i never came across mail orders where i'd order appa you know stratomatic or you know replay baseball which was around at that time and maybe some other ones, you know, but Status Pro, the ones that I could purchase from like KB Toy and Hobby that were bookcase games, you know, yeah. the Status Pro, the, status, the family of all the Status Pro games, football included, basketball, baseball, and, you know, title bout. Yeah, I think that um, between Avalon Hill and Sports Illustrated, they probably had a little bit better distribution model for some of those games yes. back in the day, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Yes. And it was just such a great experience to me. It was almost like those players came to life, you know, when you were young. I can remember vividly playing the 1979 and 80 seasons and, you know, the 79 Pirates or the 80 Phillies. And, you know, it was just it was, and all the Yankee teams that were strong back then. Yeah. So it just brought it just it just brought those players to life. And there wasn't distractions that we had then. There really wasn't video games. There wasn't. There wasn't smartphones. There wasn't computers, <laughs> so you didn't have distractions. That was your, that was your source of en- source of enjoyment. That's true. I think that has a lot to do with why we all got into it at when we were younger. Yeah. And yeah, I also think you know I always think for myself anyway. Like there was this connection to the baseball cards, and then to yes. the tabletop game. Like you know the baseball cards were like you got a chance to see your favorite players and. Yes. make a connection with them in your own way. But then all of a sudden it was like, wait, 
I can make them come to life now, like you kind of said. And yes. it was like, I wow. I can make my own line. I can make my own lineups. <laughs> like I can choose to pitch. I can, you know, pitch Nolan Ryan every day if I wanted to. You know. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's a good. I never thought of it that way with the with the with the trading cards. But you're right. Yeah. Um, all right. So now we're going to talk a lot about the fact that you do some uh, full season projects. And like I, I've talked in the past about like large and extra large, but this even goes beyond that, right? You're playing like yeah. every single game of a season. Yep. Before yep. we get into the specific projects, what are some strategies that you have uh, that you could share with everyone on just like managing like these like uh, let's just call them mega projects yeah well i kind of started out playing single team projects you know so you know i did you know the 2017 yankees with history maker baseball um some other uh projects you know 76 baltimore colts full season project with second season so that was kind of like dipping my toe in the water in a sense and then um you know, I came across a fellow gamer, turned out to be a friend, uh, John Storer. He's a classic sports gamer. Um, and he was doing full season projects with uh, Apple Baseball and Stratomatic at the time. And me and him uh, just shared some different ideas. And then it just evolved into me to committing into some projects. And I did full season football projects and full season baseball projects. So to answer your question, um, you know, I put deadlines in place in a sense to myself. And, you know, I didn't make it too um, demanding on myself or I wasn't enjoying it. But mm. I, you need to put those in place in order to finish those projects. Um, and with Boxy Baseball, for example, um, there were stretches where I'd say, okay, I'm going to do four games a day for 30 days. Um, and then I would you know, pull it back a little bit and make sure, okay, I'm only going to do two games a day for the next 60 days. And you know what? I would stay ahead. I would stay ahead. Like maybe some days I'll play four games. So I didn't have to, I could only play one game the next day. I kept, and, and James, when me and you were talking initially before we started this conversation, if you saw the background, I had dry erase boards yeah. around. So a lot of everything I do is like every gaming station I have, I have like five or six gaming stations in the house. Every gaming station has a dry erase board, a laptop and an iPad, you know, because I'm actually, and, and you know, uh, so what I do is just kind of hold myself accountable, I guess, in a sense to say, okay, I'm going to play X amount of games and X amount of time. And, and this particular project that I finished for boxy baseball, which was the full 1977 was, is, I'm, I'm going to complete this in three years and three months. And that was just my goal. Oh, wow. And uh, so I started it. I started slowly. And then once I realized after the first year, if I want to finish it in three years, I got to pick up the pace. Yeah. So you know, I would just kind of look at what I did, review what I did for that certain time period and say, okay, I got to accelerate this a little bit more if I want this to happen. Mm. And the same with my football. I have plans with my football projects, too, so I can tell you about, too. But it's basically just holding myself accountable. Now, believe me, I enjoy doing these projects. It's not something that's a daunting task where I'm, you know, getting me to my tabletop and, like, here we go, i got to play another game. <laughs> no, I, like, actually enjoy it. You know, I, I enjoy it. I have everything is set. One of the things, too, James, is 
I have everything set for me. So if I finish one game, I prepare my tabletop for the next game. So if it's, I finish a game at night and I know my next game is going to be in the morning, I have everything set. So when I get up in the morning, have my coffee, the tabletop's all ready. I don't have to get the lineups out. I don't have to create the lineup, create the cards, put them in order for the lineups. Everything is all set. I have my dry erase board set with team records on there. The yeah. game is ready to go as soon as I sit down. That's one of the things I do with all my projects. I don't just finish a game and leave. I finish a game and then prepare the next game. So all I have to do is sit down. Like I don't want to look at it as a dreading situation where I got, oh, I don't want to set up everything to play the next game. So right. before I leave my tabletop, the next game is set. Okay. I pack in my lunch for work the night before work. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't do. I hustle in the morning. So. You know, it's a good time management practice too. Like, uh, you yeah. know, and even if you're if people who are going to work, right? Like, like a lot yeah. of best practices are finish your day by setting up for tomorrow, right? Like, that's that's exactly it. That's yeah. what I did for every. I do that for every project. You know, as I said, I've completed a few. Now, are you typically projects and yeah baseball? Yeah, yeah. Are you typically dedicated to the one project at a time, or do you find that you're working on a couple of different long-term projects at the same time? Um, baseball, I I was always working on that. That was that was all twelve months of the year. Okay. Um, so I would always continuously have that going. This 1977 boxy baseball project I started in July of 2020, and I went through straight through for three years three years and three months i finished it october of 2023 just um, a little about a month ago so, yeah yeah so i finished it then so but i consistently played all 12 months out of the year now my projects with 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 football with second season where i've done the i used a full version for that and do a full season replays on those seasons is i would just play half of the season from August till probably January, February, um, and then I'd stop it and then pick it back up again in August. Oh, okay. So, um, so yeah, so like 1980, I did a full season project with 1980, was second season, um, and in 1980 was a 16-game season, so I played, I usually play one week of the schedule a month, so... Week one is the whole month of August. Week two is the whole month of September. Week three, October. You know what I'm saying? You yep, follow that. And I then, do. Um, so generally, depending on how many teams are in the league, you know, I might play 15 games, 15 games a month. Okay. And then, um, and then get it done. But I had to. I accelerated it a little bit for I think 1980 or 1984, just because I wanted to get everything done. But. Um, yeah, generally if it's baseball, I'm playing all through the year. Football, I play during football season. Um, so. And yeah. with your um, with your baseball replay, do you follow like do you play all the games on a specific calendar day, or do you try to yeah. play out like it's Mets Braves, so I'm going to play out that series and then move to that, the next series? That was that's a good question because that was one of my original thoughts. So then I actually you know, um, consulted John who got a full couple replays. He goes, no, he just plays the full day. So if you have an April 12th um, day and you have six different games, I play all the games on April 12th. Okay. And just ro rotate them through and move on to April 13th. 
Um, usually I do National League first, all the games in National League on April 12th, and all the games in American League. Um, Jerry Zajac is another, um, I'm, I'm a member of him in the NCFL for APA football, and uh, he's an avid APA game replayer. Um, and he does the same thing. He just plays the day. So a lot of these full-time players, they refer to the day instead of where they are in the season. Like, hey, I'm, I'm already <laughs> to September 2nd. I'm, I'm to September 2nd on the season. Um, I do mine by percentages. So I keep okay. I keep track of a percentage of how much I'm how much I've had completed now. You know what I'm saying? I keep yeah. I keep track of it that way for baseball. Okay. So you can see a finish line. So I can see a finish line. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. I like to do that with some of the bigger projects as well is kind of yeah. track it as like, you know, I know what my denominator is, so let me see where yes. I am on the numerator. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I had 2,103 games for the 1977 replay. And if I had 800 games that played, I just say, all right, this is the math. This is where I am right now. I keep a track each of each 1% on the dry erase board, which was, which was about 21 games. And then I would move on to like the next block, so there'd be like a hundred blocks. Okay. And each block, all everything would be on one dry erase board, all those twenty-one scores, and then move on to the next day. And each day, each game would have I put each team's record on the dry erase board, what the weather effects were, um, so I could refer to that what game number it was of the twenty-one hundred games, and it just was. It was just kind of organized in my little world. Now, what do you do for stat keeping? Are you keeping stats? I'm, I'm going to probably assume with yeah. you're doing that, you're keeping stats. Do you have a a favorite utility that you use for yes. stat tracking? Yeah, what is that? Yes. So um, for 1977 box seat baseball, I manually played the games, but I manually inputted on Stratomatic PC. Okay. Which I like their I like their stat package. Um, it also um, has day-to-day of what the bullpens are like, so all the available players those days, what 25 players dress that day. So I do as-played replays. So I, um, you know, all the players that played that day and all the plays that were, players that were available, available in the bullpen are the players that I use for that day. Yeah, so you when you do your as-played, you're going to start with the same batting order, same starting pitchers. And then you're going to adjust. Bullpen. Yeah, the same the same five guys that were in the bullpen that day uh-huh. are the same five relievers that are available. Okay. So Sparky Lyle was on the injured reserve list <laughs> on May 1st. He's not pitching. Right. Um, so, and Strat has that on there. So that's why I like doing that. Um, and then for my, my pro football replays, I use the pro football helper. Oh, okay. Very yeah. good. That was life changing. That was life changing for because I always tried to do football projects, but to manually keep the stats was just I couldn't accumulate them the way I wanted to. The games were going slow; they were sluggish. Yeah. Um, but then once I found Pro Football Helper, um, the creator of that, his name was Tom Milne. Um, me and him in 2018-19 connected, had quite a few phone conversations. He helped me out with it quite a bit. And unfortunately, he passed away uh, probably within the last year or two. Uh, um, but I still use that his 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 um, mechanic of pro football helper. It like is it's it's like life changing for my football projects. Like I 
would not be able to complete these full season projects without pro football helper. Yeah. It keeps everything on there. Everything. Have you ever tried it? No, and I'm going to be looking for it when we're done. So, because I've yeah. got some football projects coming up that that would be super oh, helpful it's, for. It's, 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 it's like it, it, it'll, it, it makes everything work. Nice. And I can, I can get a game done in second season very quickly now because of all the repetition, you know, for so many games I've played and using Pro Football Helper. It just like it, it and it accumulates the stats, it keeps the standings, it does yeah. everything for you. Nice. All right. So what I heard for best practices, just to recap, was visual management. You got those whiteboards at every uh, gaming station. You're using some digital helpers to help you with the scoring, which also leads to good stat tracking and and saves you a lot of time for having to manually track the stats, which would be a bear. And then and then goal setting and, you know, tracking the completion of the project. So, yeah, those are some really good practice. And I love the idea of like. Not you know because you have the ability to keep that gaming station going all year round uh, of setting up the next game before you walk away, which you know. Oh, that's that's critical. I yeah. will, I will, like I there, there was not one time where I just left the game on there. I would always set up the next game so you can easily go and just sit down and play the game instead of just the daunting task of setting this up. You know, and that's why I have separate game stations too because. Uh, the football project at one gaming station, so I don't have to break anything down. Yeah, I'm totally picturing you just like walking past it at one point, being like, "Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'll knock this game out real quick." So. I, I, yeah, I got 20 minutes. <laughs> I got 20, or like half asleep at 8:30, and I don't want to go to bed yet. And like, say, all right, this is how I can stay up. You know? Yeah, because it's already ready, right? Like, I don't have to yeah, like exactly. Yeah, exactly. That know? is that is a great great idea if you have the ability right. to do that. So. All right, let's talk 1977 Major League Baseball because we both have just completed projects. Mine was on a much smaller scale of uh, just yeah. the Yankees. Um, yeah. I think we yeah. were both attracted to the 77 season, though, for the same reason. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, like it was vivid to me. I mean, you know, like probably one of my – well, obviously the being from New York and, right. you know, Reggie Jackson hitting those three home runs in game six and – I can remember sitting in the living room with my father watching that game, and especially when Reggie had his third home run, like looking at my father like in amazement, like what are we watching here? <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's just like, so that was just like such a vivid memory, and I had such, I mean, I'm just, yeah. Me and my friends always reflect. Me personally, I had such a great childhood. I like wouldn't change anything about that. I mean, there was a lot of craziness in it, if you, you know, um, but. Like, that was part of it, was all those great memories of 70s sports. Right. And uh, and 77 baseball was being a New Yorker um, and Reggie. I mean, you know, it kind of, like, it it seemed right, you know? I hear you. Um, Now, we both have talked. We're we're both Met fans at this point, right? Um, Yep. But I have also, you know, made it kind of clear, like, Probably for me, I, and I pretty much can like pinpoint it, right? Like for me, it was when Munson passed away. That was yeah. when I switched from being a Yankee fan to being a Mets fan. Um, yeah, or you know, like what, what are we? Are we close in age? I'm 56, James. Like, yeah, and I'm like, 53, uh, so we're pretty close. Yeah. Well, you know, the Met, the Met turn to 77. Like you know, I can remember that. I played all the players there because all I played all the games. You know, that's the year they lost Seaver. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, and 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 you know Lenny Randall and that's the you know Steve Henderson came over in the receiver trade, um, John Milner, all those guys. But it really started, I think, you know, the Met surge started like when Keith Hernandez came. Yeah, you know, 80, Neil 82, Allen, 83. Allen yep. Yeah, yep. Neil Allen trade, you know. So um, agreed. That's when it all started coming on, and then like '86 Mets was like, you know. You, you can't miss baseball. You know what I mean? You didn't want to miss that team playing. <laughs> That's right. So, okay, so we both were thinking about the Yankees a lot in 77. Hard to not with yeah. that with that, with that that team, with Billy Martin, yeah. with uh, George Steinbrenner. Yeah. So, crazy yeah. time. Um, and there was yeah. some other amazing performances in 77 as well, right? So, let's talk a little bit about um, your replay. And yeah. we already talked about how many games it was. I think we heard 2,103, right? Correct, of regular season games, yes. Yeah, crazy. So who yeah. ended up, like, and you played the whole postseason afterwards too, right? Correct, correct. Okay. Yeah, so uh, so if you're going to ask me who the, like, the divisional winners were, um, in the American League East, it was the Yankees. They won it pretty handily. Um, the American League West, surprisingly, um, in, in real life uh, was the Kansas City Royals, but in my project, the Texas Rangers won it. Yeah. And Texas Rangers were pretty formidable in 77 anyways. They went over 90 games, I believe. They did. Um, and um, yeah. in mine, it came down to like the last couple games for Kansas City to hold off Texas. So, yeah, Texas was a really good team. And even playing them head-to-head, I was always like, man, this this lineup is stacked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it had like Burp, and, and they had some decent pitching with like Burp Lylevin, Doc Ellis. Yes. So, they were pretty formidable, you know. Um, they were. The bullpen wasn't that great, but they were good. Hargrove, you know, they had a lot of good guys, and they won my AL West, and then my NL East. It was a dogfight between the Pirates and the Phillies, and the Pirates ended up pulling it out probably within the last week or two of the season. Oh. Um, and, and then in the NL West, uh, uh, you know, Cincinnati led most of the way, most of the way, but then the Dodgers surged in in uh, in August and September, and they ended up winning probably by like three games, if I recall. Okay. Um. So so my my NF, my AL championship series was the Yankees over the Rangers, um, and then the and pretty handily, and then my NL championship series was the Pirates. Losing to the Dodgers, oh. I think in like in five or six games. Okay. So my my World Series was the Dodgers versus the Yankees, and uh, the Dodgers won in uh, in oh. six. <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, it was great, and you know the Dodgers, like you know as as I mentioned earlier, they kind of were in a dogfight in the NL West. Yeah. Um, didn't 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 look like they were going to win. I thought Cincinnati was going to win it, and then they took them seven games to beat the Pirates in my Nano Championship Series, and then they ended up beating the Yankees. And you know, if you recall, the the, the, the seventy seven Dodgers had four players that hit over thirty home runs, and I don't think any of the guys hit over thirty home runs in my regular season replay. Oh wow! You know so. Like Garvey hit twenty seven. I'm looking at it now. Reggie Smith hit he hit thirty. Um, Dusty Baker uh, he hit twenty, and then Ron Say hit twenty six. So um, okay. 
and they really didn't play their best. Um, there was, you know, in any replays, there's overachievers and underachievers. I'd say for the most part, they were uh, underachievers, but they ended up winning the World Series. Yeah. So, but it's fun. Like, you know, once I got to that, you really felt the tension. And I kind of, the reason I waited till October, James, to finish it is because I wanted my playoffs in October. So I wanted October baseball to be October baseball. So that's what was my goal. I you like know what it. I'm saying? I do. Yeah, that, that was my goal. I kind of stretched it out that way. I could have probably finished it in August, but I stretched it out and just slowed down my pace so I could play <laughs> October baseball in October baseball. I mean, what better way to really do our replays than to, uh, you know, really re- relive, um, you know, the, the cold air and, and playoff baseball. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Yeah. yeah so. so let's talk about some of the top individual performances because that year had some pretty amazing individual performances. So I'm going to ask you about a couple of them, and you can tell me how they fared in your replay. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's start with one of my favorite players from that generation, Rod Carew, who had in the regular season that year in real life hit 388. So how did he do for you? I knew you were going to ask that. He was the biggest. He was the biggest overachiever, the biggest by far. Okay. And I could tell you a lot of underachievers, but he was. He had like four, four twenty, four thirty, if I recall. And wow. He was like, and and James for the first sixty percent of the season, he was at three eighty, and then all of a sudden, like every role seemed like it was in his favor. Like Man. it seemed like every time I rolled it, nothing could stop <clears> him. <throat> You know, so, uh, but it, it made it fun. And, uh, yeah, so that's where he ended up. Now, I think you heard me talk about this on my podcast with my replay. And I simmed everything except for the Yankees games, right? Uh, using that yep. digital diamond baseball that's out there now. Yep. And yep. so what I had done is I went to the reg- end of the regular season, and he was, in the last couple of days, he was at 397. And he was, it looked like he had fallen short. Um, but he went two for five and two for five on the final two days of the year. And then I was looking and I was like, oh, man, I have a couple races that are so close, like the Royals and the Rangers. I was like, do I have to do a makeup game? And then I'm like, wait, they didn't play 162 games here. Yes, yes. The Royals, I think, only played 161, didn't they? Or they did. Like and I went yeah. back and I realized there was a day that I forgot to sim the games in the utility. So I had to go back yeah. to a game in, like, July and sim the day's worth. And the Minnesota game that I had to replay at that point, he ends up going five for five and goes up to four oh one on the season. I was like, Well there it is. So. Yeah. Yeah, he was fun to play. And they had a pretty good team, Minnesota in seventy seven. Yeah, they had Lyman Bostick, uh, who yeah, was also Larry like Heisel. a great hitter. Great hitter. Yeah. Larry Heisel. Yes. Yeah, they were good. Yeah, they, they were, were good. good. And, gee, it's funny, you just a quick note on that. When you played Minnesota, um, like Gene Mock was your manager, and like he did as play. So what I would do to get it set is I'd reset the lineup whatever day was. Well, he changed the lineup every day. He probably had 160 <laughs> different lineups. You know, so it's true. Yeah. All right, let's talk George Foster, who in '77 hit 52 home runs in the real yeah, real season. Another another, another overachiever. Um, <laughs> he had like 60, 67, I believe, in wow. my replay. Yeah, he was on fire. Um, he was another one. And like you know, when I tell you this, you're probably gonna say, "Oh, it's like offensive slanted," but it wasn't. <laughs> I can tell you, like Mike Schmidt, Greg Luzinski didn't hit nearly as well as they did in real life. 
But those two players that were the big standouts in the American League and National League in 77 yeah. really stood out in my replay. They just stood out. Yeah, um, it happens. There's another one that, that yeah, there's another one. Their cards were their cards were created to match what they did, but sometimes a lot of roles just keep on going in their favor. Exactly, exactly. And I had that happen with Greg Nettles in my replay where – you know, he hit 37 in real life, but for some, you know, with mine, like the Yankees were clicking and he just seemed to always get the right role at the right time. And, and playing with History yeah. Maker, I was like, it go to the chart and it's like, oh, he's an icon. I'm like, well, here we go again. He's got a yeah. good chance to hit exactly. home run. So, Same thing um, when I did 2017, John Carlo hit, and that was one of his years he hit like 50. And uh, I think he hit like 60 in mine in 2017, you know, so. So, how did Nettles do in yours? He was another overachiever. Not great on the batting average. Yeah. But he had quite a few home runs. Um, I believe he had like 40. Okay. But he only hit, but he only hit like, um, I think in real life he hit like 250 something, 55. And in mine he hit like 240, but he had 40 something home runs. Okay. Um, that's what I recall with him. Yeah. He was nice. He was another one. Whereas like Reggie. Um, you know, Reggie Jackson only had 31 home runs, and in real life he had 32. Um, so, you know, there was some some underachievers. The ones we've touched on have been the overachievers. Yeah. But like Mickey, Mickey Rivers, for example, you know, he batted 326 in real life, and in my replay only batted 296. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah, so, it, you know what I mean? It all balanced out. That's right. Know? Nice. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I ended up, um, you know, as I started doing the 77 replay that struck me because um, I, when I, it was one of the first times in a long time I had done the as-played lineups as well. And I was shocked by how few appearances were made by American League bullpens. Yes. They just, yeah. you know, and because it was very early on, right, the DH had just been introduced a couple of years before that, and... There's a huge disparity if if anyone goes back to like baseball reference like look up the number of relief appearances per team for the AL and the NL and it's almost a direct split that the top half is all NL and the bottom half is all AL because they just did not have a lot of like relief appearances and I think the Yankees for the well, whole season were like they didn't need to because in the NL you'd have the double switch or you'd have something right. you know where they didn't want that they needed to run and they you know they for the pitcher. Yeah. You know? And then you had he guys had like Lyle and Dick Tidro who could throw like multiple oh. innings out of the bullpen, right? They had like, did it, did it, did it, like Sparky Lyle and, and, and he, had, he pitched like 137 innings in yes. 1977. He did. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I remember when I was doing my as played and like you said, like checking like who's available in the bullpen, I'd be going into some games like, I got two guys in the bullpen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had who you had like Ken Clay and like you know Ken Holtzman or something like that. Right, you know? that was it. It was like okay, yeah. Hope yeah. these starters can last. So <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, but they weren't used as much. And Tidro, he had over a hundred in- innings too. So he did, uh, and he did a little bit of starting as well to uh, like some spot starting. Yep. Now, let me take you to one. This was the most memorable moment of my replay. And in terms of uh, I had to go and do some research to figure out what the heck was going on. And, you know, 
there was a makeup game between the Royals and the Yankees sometime in August. I think it was in the August part of the season uh, where um, Whitey Herzog, who was the Royals manager at the time, was upset because I guess they the original game got rained out really quickly by Steinbrenner, and then they forced Kansas City to come into New York in, be- in the middle of a road trip for a one game um, – and I think he even they even scheduled it as a night game just to really get under the skin of the Royals. Really? Um, yeah. But in the starting lineup, Whitey Herzog is a like a kind of silent protest. Ended up starting four starting pitchers, including like three at at fielding positions in the batting order, and then just pinch hit for them as soon as they came up to the plate. But do you remember that game? Really? At all? Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm kind of looking for it now. And, uh... And I'm wondering how Strat handled it, to be honest with you, because I trusted Strat for the as-played lineups. And uh, and that was um, something I don't I don't recall, and I'm kind of sifting through now um, baseball reference, and I see the game they're talking about. It looks like July 24th. July, there and, it is, uh, yep. Yeah, so they played there, and I'm trying to look at the starting lineups here. Well, if you go to baseball reference, James, it's a normal starting lineup like Brett McRae, Otis Cowens, Mayberry, Zadeb, Porter, Patek, and White with Andy Hackler as a starter. So it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't have anything there on this one. Oh, okay, you're you right. It saying? doesn't have it in there. You're right. Because I think yeah. because they actually pinch hit for them immediately. When I was playing gotcha. it in um, Digital Diamond, it actually did have like the, the starting pitchers Those in there. Guys. Like Larry Gurr at second base or something like that. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I forget who which ones they were, but they had one guy playing at first base. Um, you know, they had one guy at DH, and then they had um, another one. I think was in. Uh, I think it was right field because I think Cowens was the other one who pinch hit, and gotcha. two of them came up in the first inning, so they didn't have to actually go to the field. And then Mayberry came in for Hassler. Off of the defensive gotcha. side of the first inning, so that none of them actually saw the field, but he just did it as kind of like a uh, gotcha. silent protest there. Like so. a protest, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know. So, but but that was another one. Al Cowens, like he, you know, in my replay, twenty home runs versus twenty three in real life, mm. two ninety nine. My replay, three twelve in real life. So, okay. you know, you have your underachievers and overachievers. That's, That's right. What you're going to get through a full season replay. Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. the way it's yeah. going to have to work out that way. So, and I wouldn't want it. Why would I want it to be exactly the same, <laughs> right? You know, why? Why would you want? Then why play the game if they're going to just come out exactly the same? Agreed. Agreed. You want a yeah. little bit of variety in there so that it, you know, correct. keeps you interested there. So, totally yeah, into that. Correct. That's right. Correct. Uh, all right. Let's talk. Uh, so. Um, and that was with we. I don't think we mentioned on this one, but for anybody who's interested, uh, so this was with box seat baseball. Correct. And Correct. I did. We did do a little recap of what box seat baseball is, uh, and that'll be just for patron listeners. So if anyone's interested, they can join my yep. patron uh, channel there and um, get a chance to listen to you just giving us a quick overview of box seat baseball. But um, you enjoyed that game a lot, right? Yes, it's a great game, and as I said, it kind of checked all the boxes um and as i mentioned you know each game engine has their strengths and weaknesses um and i think this particular one had all of those boxes checked for what i was looking for in a game 
Nice. Um, as far as like lefty righty matchups, lefty righty power matchups, um, it, it covered everything. Um, and uh, it, it's a great game. The components are great. The uh, creator Tom Downing does a great job. He stays on top of it. He's active on the Delphi forum to answer any questions. Um, and you know, it might be a little intimidating to start the game, but like with any game, the more repetitions you put in, the faster it goes. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So let's switch gears and talk a little bit because baseball, as you mentioned, there's baseball and then there's football. So let's talk about some of yeah. your recent football projects as well. Um, yep. Let's start with the 1984 NFL season. And and for all of these, I think you used a second season by play, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. All right, so 84, I'm trying to jog my memory here, but I believe that was the big year for Marino, right? Huge. Huge. And then, <laughs> and then uh, probably maybe the best quarterback season of all time. I think it's and, fair to uh, say that because, you yeah. know, he was playing with a different set of rules than they are playing with yeah. today, and he put up numbers similar to what the guys are putting up to today. So It, it was, and you felt it in yeah. the second season. As much as I'm – you know, as an advocate for boxy baseball and baseball, I'm an advocate plus for <laughs> second season on football game engines. Um, yeah. To me, that and I, I pretty much own most all football board games. Okay. Um, and uh, second season uh, checks all the boxes, but I'll constantly, even though I'm doing my second season project, I have another gaming station set up with another football game engine and I, there's a lot of characteristics I enjoy about those games but I always then when I come back and play one of my scheduled games in second season I'm like wow this has everything all those boxes checked it makes it so easy especially for a solitaire gamer yes agreed yes. agreed I'm not, it's not I, you know I'm not a big huge fan of it face to face second season right um, but solitaire like nothing there's there's it does everything it's everything has the finders you know penalty the penalty grades for each team um yeah manages um, usage pretty good right you'd be surprised we all know how powerful home field advantage can be in a football game right like that's the only board game that has that Francisco. Yeah, I mean, yeah. San Francisco went 15 and 1, right? So, yeah. um in my project they went 16 and 0. Wow, really? And, and okay. but they almost lost in the NFC Championship to the Chicago Bears with in that my, incredible defense that with that and you know everybody talks about the 85 Bears, 
but the 84 Bears are still considered one of the top 10 defenses of all time. And uh, and they played, the Bears played in real life, they played the 49ers in the NFC Championship. And, you know, most of that year they played without uh, McMahon. Oh, really? You know? yeah. yeah. Okay. McMahon was hurt. Steve Fuller started that NFC Championship. Wow. Yeah, so... Um, that that and my project, um, the '84 Bears played the '84 Niners in the NFC Championship, and it went down to a game on the line rating. I remember Singletary making a stop right with, right in the red zone based on his game on the line rating. I was like, "Holy cow! I can't believe this just happened." <laughs> but then the next play, I think Dwight Clark came back, and his game on the line rating was used to score a touchdown and win the game. It just, like, was oh, it was man. so dramatic. It was so dramatic, and uh, you can't ask more from a tabletop sports game to provide that drama. That's right. Wow. That's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So who ended up – was it – who won the, won the whole thing? So, so, so Miami looked so powerful in my regular season. They ended up losing one or two games. I can't recall who the losses were to. But San Francisco went undefeated. But the Super Bowl um, ended up just like the in real life, where San Francisco won by, I think, by one like by seventeen in my in my Super Bowl. Wow! Um, I told Keith when I saw Keith at um, play con uh, of how powerful that nineteen eighty four Miami. I never had a football team on my tabletop that felt as powerful as Marino and the eighty four Dolphins. It's just like there was twos everywhere on pass, everywhere. <laughs> you know, like the offensive linemen, Cooper and Clayton, Marino. It just was like twos everywhere. And whenever you went to the game book for a result, it would just go in their favor. Yeah. I mean, just for historical reference, right? I'm, and I'm looking at uh, pro yeah. football reference right now. The teams that scored over 400 points that year, total offense, Washington – St. Louis, San Francisco, Seattle, and Miami. And Miami scored over 500 points. James, James, I felt it. Like, I felt it. Like, when you had them on the tabletop, it was, like, electric. Yeah. It was electric. It was like there was was a big glow around my tabletop whenever Miami was playing. Because twos were everywhere, you know? So how did Marino fare? How did Marino he fare did, in your season? He got right around five thousand yards and the touchdowns. I think he. I think he. Don't don't. I think he threw like forty eight in real life in in, in eighty four. Yes. And uh, he was right around there then too. Like the stats were very close in nice. second season. They're very close. But what makes second season so great? Yeah, the stats are great, but those game engine characteristics. Um, like game on the line, like the home field advantage, um, you know, which, which, you know, it's not huge, but, you know, it just asks, is, is, is the home field, it has the asterisks and asterisks the home fields on there. Right. Um, when you hit the bomber rating, uh, the excitement that comes with that, um, all, everything <laughs> is, every, it's such a great game. It's such a great game. I, and I think it's, I love all of Keith's games and Sam's games at play, but, Second season to me is head and shoulders above, I think, 
not only play games, but all the games within our community. <clears throat> I think uh, it's a popular opinion. So you are not yes. alone in saying that. Um, yeah. And, you know, while I rave about History Maker Baseball, and I think it's it's an amazing game to me, um, yeah. I think you're right in saying, like, and I, you know, this isn't from Keith or anything, this is just my take on it, um, and probably yours as well, but, yeah, I think second season is the flagship game of play. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, you know, and, uh, and he brought it out this year. If you noticed... You know, obviously, if you talk to some people, a lot of people feel it's going in the direction there's a lot more express games. Sure. Express games are not appealing to me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I find that, you know, if they're appealing to others, great. And uh, and they enjoy it, great. But um, he brought back, uh, you know, full season, pl- excuse me, full play games to this con- most recent convention. So yes. if you notice that all of the games were being full play second season i was the moderator at the second season table yep so you know everybody was, we had a couple of full season full full games going <laughs> hockey blast had some full games going which yes. you know what it was great it was great to see no it is it's it is good because um i think that's where we get the most enjoyment like i think you know you're you're in a probably a class of your you have your own right that you can yeah. knock out some games really quickly um but i think for a lot of folks the express allow them to feel like they can get like some more full yeah. season projects done and which is great right which is great. exactly and i will say this i will say this you know if that's your intent give the full give the full play games more of a chance and i think the more repetitions you get in you'd be surprised at how much your game time is reduced that's a good point. Very good point. Yeah. I mean, I can get a game done in second season with the Pro Football Helper in an hour and ten minutes. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty good. Because you know where all the pages are. You know you know what I mean? You know where the eyes, you know, your eyes know where to move. That's right. Everything like that. So. Yeah. I mean, repetitions always, you know, makes things easier, right? So, like you yeah. said. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay, any anything else worth calling out for the 84 season? I think that was a good recap, but any other surprises or no, things that, that stood out? Just, that was just great. This, you know, <laughs> San Francisco stood out and Marino and the Dolphins will always be embedded in my memory. Always. <laughs> I might I consider doing 84 again, maybe with a different game engine within the next 10 years because that had such an impact on me. Yeah, that's that's I, I could see that. So Yeah. Um, all right, let's switch gears to 1980, right? Uh, so when did you yeah. do the, uh, let's, we'll go back to 84. When, when uh, was it you did that? Chronologically, chronologically, I did 81st. Okay. Um, I started that, I think, I believe like 2019 and finished it in 2020 or 2021. Okay. Um, and that was the 1980 in real life was the Raiders over the Eagles, the Jim Plunkett, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, Superdome game. Um, and the Raiders were a wild card. That was appealing to me as my first replay because of Earl Campbell. So growing up, like my hero, and you know all of all of my friends were big. Just jumped on the Houston Oilers bandwagon <laughs> back in the seventies. I mean, how could you with Love You Blue and everything that went along with that? And nineteen eighty was the year that Ken Stabler came in um, okay. as a quarterback for the Oilers. So. Uh, I redid that replay, and uh, 
and that was a full season, uh, full game of second season, and um, the Eagles made the were representative for the NFC, and the Oilers were actually representative for the AFC, and the Oilers really? won the Super Bowl. Yeah, wow, the won the Super Bowl. Yep, yep. Now the Oilers were pretty. I mean, the um, AFC was pretty balanced that year at the top. Um, in yeah, fact, I would say the whole the league, Raiders, right? The Raiders made it. Yeah, the Raiders made it as a wild card. Right, but I th- I don't think there was really there was no teams that had like thirteen or fourteen wins that year, right? No, like I think everybody no. who was in the playoffs was like eleven or twelve wins, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, that was it, and I couldn't get. And you know what? That was like. You know, the way the uh, teams are created, I just don't think he could mimic the Raiders uh, because of the fact that they were a wild card team. I believe they were nine and seven. Um, No, actually in in 80, they were 11 and five. Um, So, yeah, it wasn't, you're right, it wasn't balanced. The best records in the AFC were 11 and five. So um, between Crazy. Chargers, Raiders, Browns, and Oilers, and and the Buffalo Bills in '80, yeah. um, but it was just like you know they just came to life the Oilers, uh, especially with uh, Campbell, and um, and the Eagles were were pretty tough, and they end up being the representative for the NFC. But again, the Oilers came through on it, and it was funny when you played those games. Like, each play felt like it was true, you know, January football. You know, so <laughs> nice. that's the way it felt. That's the way it felt. Yeah, Earl Campbell was a beast in, in 1980. Um, yeah. Do you have any idea? Do you, can you recall, like, how many he yards he ended up with? He was yeah, close. Yeah, okay. all the records there. I mean, in real life, he had, like, 1934, and I think in mine he had, like, 1,800 or something. Okay. Wow. Um, but he was really close to it. He was real powerful um, because, you know, there was, if I recall, there was a lot of run twos on there. Um, and, uh, you know, he got, he carried a big load. So the finders, I think it was like a 1 to 15 or 1 to 16 wow. on the D20 where That's he was crazy. getting the ball. Yeah. He was a workhorse. He felt it, man. Yeah, he felt <laughs> it like hitting the I formation and just uh, stays there throwing him a toss, sweep right. You know, that's the way wow. it felt. Man. Yeah, I just remember that, you know, I think all of us who are of that age, right, like, just remember the tearaway jersey with Earl Campbell like that. The tearaway jersey, the, the, the blue and white pom-poms going, and the love you blue, you know, it was right. great, it was great. But that's why we do it, man, because of the, the nostalgia it brings back, and the memories it brings back. And there's so many times before I play a game, I'll watch it on YouTube, or I'll watch the highlights on YouTube before I play a game. Oh, that's a great idea to kind of get yourself going because that's one thing that I think uh, the NFL has kind of got over every other sport, right, is that NFL films and being able to go back and see Uh, those highlights. That's a great – yeah. Yeah, I mean, the next next thing we'll go on is my current replay, which is 1969, and I can get every every NFL recap of every game back in 1969, like a three-minute recap. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm watching those recaps before I play the game, and uh, it's great. It's great. It's great. That's a great '69 season is un James. It's unbelievable. 1969. That was the first year before the merger. Excuse me, the last year before the merger. 
Last year before the merger. Okay, so yeah. 69 is, remind me now. Project. Yeah. My current project. Um, 69, 1969 NFL is my current project that I'm playing now. I'm currently in week five. So ironically, when I was at in in um, uh, Colorado for PlayCon this past July, um, I didn't know I was gonna, ready to start my next project in August, and I had no idea what season I was going to do. I was considering doing 2022. I was going to do a modern day replay okay. of 2022. But then when I was at the table, Keith had the cards set up. He had the 2022 cards, but he also had 69. <laughs> so I started sifting, sifting through 69. I'm like, I gotta do this. This is six. This is it. It came to me. The answer came to me, and I said, <laughs> I'm gonna do 69. So Keith had it out, and then I said, you know what? Then when I got home, I had already had the 69 set, and I took off with it. So uh, as I said, right now I'm in. Uh, I'm just finishing week five. In real life, that was the Kansas City Chiefs over the Minnesota Vikings in the Super Bowl. Oh, okay. That was the Chiefs one. Yeah. All right. Yeah, right. The Jets yeah. were the year before that, correct? They were 68. Yeah. yeah 68. Right. Yeah. Um, but they were good in 69. They were good in 69. They ended up losing to the um, uh, Chiefs in, in the AF, uh, AFL championship, I believe, in real life. Oh, okay. And yeah. I think that the Raiders were pretty good then, too. I think it was Madden's, like, first year as yeah. head coach was 69 yeah there are so many great stories and so many great teams so many great players in 69 like keith released that i believe it was probably like four or five years ago um maybe it was on the anniversary maybe he released it in 2019 now that i think about it oh okay it was 50 years 50 years right wow so that would make sense i think he did it in 2019 um but uh yeah, the Raiders for me right now are are four and one. Um, the Chiefs are very powerful, uh, but in that that year, because I do I do quarterbacks. Whoever was the quarterback for that game, um, I used the quarterback. And Lenny Dawson was hurt most of that season in '69. So um, oh. right now, I have Mike Livingston as the quarterback. You know, for Week Five, he, I think he was like. Between weeks like three and seven, he was the quarterback. So I've been using him. Um, uh, Houston was was decent back then, uh, but really the standout team was the '69 Minnesota Vikings. And everybody kind of talks about their defense. If you go on Delphi, there's different game engines. Yeah. But you know, talk about those '69 Viking teams and how hard it is to replicate it. Um, you feel them in this in this uh, in the in second season in this game engine, a lot of twos, a lot of stops, and you just feel how powerful their defense is. But it's such a great season, such nice. a great season. The Rams are fun to play with. The Cowboys are fun to play with. Um, it's just it's great. And then the AFL, you know, you got the Oakland, the Jets, the Chiefs. Houston's decent. Um, it's. Miami has Zonka and Greasy, but you know they aren't the Dolphins that we all know. Right. But they were just starting. They were just starting. But it, 69 is such a great season, and Keith did a great job with that. Uh, you know that the, 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 that release of yeah. 1969, and those games go faster because you know he has a, a rule there that. Um, 
you ignored a pointing fin- finger penalty symbols and scrimmage play game scrimmage play play pages so you just ignore it then when then when you go to like the xr column that's and there's a pointing finger that's when you do penalty so i got some games done in like a little over an hour oh wow because you ignored those penalties you know yep so because there was fewer penalties during that era so how far into that project are you right now i'm just finishing week five and i started it in august i'm taking it slow um (laughs) you know because i'm really enjoying it like i'm considering you know i'm gonna i'm probably gonna after week seven i'm probably just gonna pack it away and then revisit it in august and finish it then but part of me what just wants to finish it but i also want to savor it too because i'm you know i'm 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 playing around with some other games too, but I I love this 69 second season project. And it sounds like you like to do the football during football season, right? I mean, like, that's what you do in the August to January. It's probably hard for me to (laughs) to get into a, you know, a Minnesota Viking 1969 game in the middle of May. Yeah. You know know what I mean? Like, so. That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) With Bud Grant and, uh, you know, all the mud at the, yeah, municipal stadium. That's you know? right. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, um, okay. So let's like, what do you have planned for the near future? It sounds like sixty nine is going to probably be the football project for at least yep. this year, and probably at least next year. I'm guessing, right? Yep, yep, yep. yep. And I also, um, I also have a slow, slow burn project. I guess you could call it in a sense with uh, nineteen eighty six Major League Baseball. Um, I'm doing it with Stratomatic Baseball. Okay. Um, I'm about 25% done with those, with that. So each team has about 40 games done. And I'm just doing that. That, But when you talk about game planning or project planning, I just do one game a day. Okay. So the math was, I think it was, was going to take me like five and a half years. <laughs> so I started it in July of 2022. Um, and right now, like I said, about 25% done, I'm about 500 games into it. Wow. Okay. So, but I'm enjoying that. And that's with Stratomatic baseball cards and dice. Okay. And, uh, and I have red, white, and blue project, red, white, and blue racing. I've done two full scram seasons. I'm in the playoffs. I started a playoff for this scram third season that I've done. Oh. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm learning how to do a playoff because I don't watch any NASCAR. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one project I got to finish up. Uh, and then I'm considering another football project with another game engine. Um, I'm playing around with a couple different games. I like Four Street. I like Grant's new game, Quick Decks and On the Turf. Okay. Um, but I really like data-driven football, which is kind of like uh, the carryover from Pater. Oh. Um, it's a great game. Uh, data-driven football. There's no particular players. It's all team. If you ever played, did you ever play Paydirt, James? Yep, Paydirt was one of my early, my probably my earliest yeah. football game. Yep, it's Paydirt, but it's but it's with a lot more data involved. Um, Ron, who is the uh, the game creator, he he log he watches every game and and logs every play, and everything is covered here. Um, without individual finders, and you think like, okay, I can't, I can't play that game without being finders. But I've played quite a few games, and I'm getting used to it, and I'm, and I'm enjoying it. That's so, great. Um, that, that's a game I'm really enjoying now, and uh, 
So maybe potentially there might be a project with that game. But other than that, that's uh, kind of where I stand now. And I have a, on the horizon, I'm going to start another baseball project, a full season baseball project, probably in July of 2024. And uh, I'm leaning towards 1998. And uh, I'm not sure what game engine I'm going to use on it. Okay. Yeah. So that's yeah. another good season. Sounds like you want to yeah. try something a little more modern there. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that was a good Yankee year. That was the McGuire Sosa year, and yes. Padres were good, I believe, in '98. They were. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Nice. Very good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. And then last question, since we're in the holiday season, I think most, you know, we just finished up some holiday sales. Was there any games on your wish list this year that you were like, oh, I got to get a copy of that? This this was the first time that I actually asked myself, like, I would, I would, I would, I would tend to buy anything that was released. Um, but this was the first <laughs> time I asked myself, am I actually going to be able to play this game? Um, and so I kind of withheld on any holiday sales. And, uh, and, um, yeah, no, I didn't do anything. I was kind of like a part of me was wishing Keith did a, another classic season mm. or second season. And maybe that was going to be a surprise release. Um, that's one thing I was looking for. Yeah. Um, but he's busy with a lot of other things going on now, which I understand. So, uh, but there was nothing that really stuck out to me that said, I have to have that now. Um, Usually, if I really want something, I'll get it. But I, James, I have so many games right now. I, I that like I have, I probably own all the football games, most of the baseball games, most of the hockey games. Um, but I don't certainly don't get to be able to play all of them. Right. I have some other interests too. I do quite a bit of reading, so I probably read 70, 80 books a year. So like Oof. I also want time for reading, and uh, so yeah, it's just like my time is taken up. So. And any of the holiday sales um, really didn't, because I, I don't know, I just kind of said to myself, are you truly going to be able to play play those games? And I'm so into 1969 right now. Yeah. Like, it's fine, man. That was a great a great purchase that was well worth it and long-lasting <laughs> as far as enjoyment, right? That's the key, right? You want to have something yeah. that you can kind of look back on and, you know, and if you can get engrossed in something, then that's what you need. That's 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 yeah. what's going to fill it, the, the need. It's amazing how, like, a, you know, a $30 purchase can bring you so much enjoyment for so many months. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, that's what I think attracts a lot of us to this hobby is, like, it feels like some money up front at times when you're buying the sets and buying the games, but the truth is, like, yeah, but you're getting you're getting years out of that. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, come yeah. on. But there's also been points where I still got a lot of a lot of the games or seasons in the in the in the packaging. And yeah. I haven't even opened them. <laughs> I know. You know, you know. So that's another thing I'm just trying to be a little bit more just aware of. Put it that way. That's a good thing to do because, as you know, as I shared on my. Uh, episode like earlier this week i i you know late in the uh, night uh, you know because obviously with keith sales it's uh you want to check yeah. out the doorbusters so you're staying up past midnight and then like it's like yeah. 12 30 in the morning on the east coast and i'm like <laughs> doing some shopping and i'm like oh like i should get the 81 82 hockey season because i would love to do the gretzky season so yeah. I purchase it, I go to download it, and it's like, put the little one in parentheses. I'm like, I already have this file? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, 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 that's the thing, yeah. There's been times, I, I read the 
email Keith and say, did I purchase this before? <laughs> like, cause I, cause I, and I've had duplicates of stuff, you know? So yeah, I just tried to, trying to restrain myself this time, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but I got enough, I got enough games that I enjoy. And, uh, I also like being a part of the talking to the others in the community and being some great friendships in the community. Yeah. And I also love spending time talking to those people. You know, part of most of the time at play, the reason I enjoy it so much is just talking to the others and seeing what their experiences are. And I think that's why people are, are such a fan of your podcast because it's listening to other people and listening to the experiences they have on tabletop. And that's what kind of like got me started with it a little bit too, right? Like I had some ideas yeah. about project planning that I thought could help everybody, but then it was also just like, man, after going to that first convention, the best part of it was just getting a chance to talk with everybody. And it was like, let's see if we can replicate that. And yes, um, you're yeah. right. Like I'm at the point now where I barely even bring any games with me to the con. It's like, yeah, I don't want to play. Really, I really like listening <laughs> to others and what they play. And it's just like, yeah, like a lot of times I talk to like, uh, Dave Jackson's a friend of mine out there, Steve Heller and Eric Caldaway. And a lot of times we, and we still stay in contact throughout the year. And uh, I love listening to their um, outlook on different games that they play. That's right. I, I just, I just like hearing people's experiences and, and, and what brings joy to their experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you sharing yours with us because, um, you know, it's a, another common refrain that we hear in our gaming community is, man, I would love to tackle that season-long project, but I'm never going to find the time. And I think you've given us all some ideas on how we actually could accomplish those dream season projects that we've always yeah. thought about doing and maybe just feel a little scared, a little daunted, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. I can guarantee you, like, you know, one of the things that it might be intimidating was the game length. A lot of times you see it, you get questions like, how long does that game play? How long does it take to play that game? And I can remember second season when I played my first few games, it took me maybe two hours, and now it's down to an hour, like I said, an hour and ten minutes. Depends on how many penalties or incomplete passes I have. Um, or, you know, it just it, 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 it goes much quicker, and it's repetition. And the quicker you get and the more you figure it out and the more you try to make it better after each session. All right, how can I make this faster? How can I make it better? And, you know, that's that's a lot of good business, just best practices. It how is. Can, you know, how can you make the boat go faster? You know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> it's just like that. You know, it's just it, that's what it is, really is. And I love the idea of getting the next game set up, you know, yes. when you finish the la- the previous one. If people have the ability to keep a station going in their house, yeah. um, that's a great, great takeaway for me because I can totally see that being the way. I need to do that for t- times where I leave games out. I just need to set up the next one. So when I come back, yeah. it's like jump right in. Um, yeah. It's a great yeah, idea. Games, I mean, for all the – I probably played 600 second season games and probably – Two, you know, 3,000 tabletop board games within the last seven, eight years. And, you know, always, every time I set the next game up. That's great. And have it ready. So. It's nice. Yeah. All right. Well, Sean, appreciate the time, and um, we'll definitely thanks, stay James. in touch, man. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm sure I'll probably see you in, uh, I guess it's going to be in June this coming, this coming uh, convention. 
It sounds like it, and I'm planning yeah. on being there. So, uh, All right. you know. Sounds good, James. <laughs> sounds All right. good. All right, take care now. You too. Yeah, bye-bye. And that's a wrap on this week's episode. Uh, I want to thank Sean for joining me this week for the interview. Uh, great hearing about some of these past seasons that he has been able to run. Love that we both were working on the 1977 season, so we got a chance to kind of compare notes and see how performances worked out between the, the two there. Um, and, you know, box seat baseball, that's one that I'll definitely put on my list to see, like, what that looks like. And if you are a patron subscriber, uh, you'll be able to hear just a short interview that I did with Sean before this main interview, uh, where we got a little bit of his first impressions of box seat baseball. So if you already subscribe to patron or if you would like to start beginning to subscribe to patron, uh, you can check that out at patreon.com backslash tabletop sportcast. And it'll include, as of recently, a quick 10-minute interview with Sean that we did before the main interview. Also, if you'd like to check out the latest from my tabletop, head on over to facebook.com backslash tabletop sportcast. I try to post a few times a week, just highlights from some of the projects that I'm running. And if you have any questions or topic ideas, uh, certainly starting to set up for next year and start to get some ideas about what we can do in terms of the um, content for the podcast. And, you know, or if you just want to tell me about your latest project, you can send me an email at tabletopsportcast at gmail.com. Now, next week, uh, we begin to count down 2023, which is hard to believe but there's only three episodes left in this year so next week i will be counting down the top games of 2023 uh this year's list might even be it's going to be a little bit longer uh but it will be everything from my tabletop and i'll give you kind of the rundown of the top games that were on my tabletop this past year so that will be next week's episode episode and until then thanks for listening